Boy Scouts of the Air in Belgium by Gordon Stewart Chapter 4 A Council of War The professor arrested as a spy, repeated Bob with a catch in his voice. The seriousness of the situation flashed through his mind in an instant. That is it, bobbed Hans. Nonsense, exclaimed Ned. Who would suspect that honest, open-hearted old man of being anything but what he is? I know it. I saw it, insisted Hans. Why did I run after the trunk? Whose? The professor's. It was taken to a big tent, and a big man with epaulets I heard. What did you hear? urged Bob. Their talk in the wagon. The professor was arrested at noon. He was sent on to Verdun across country. The trunk follows. It took very brief questioning on the part of Bob to convince him that the depressing statement of Hans was correct. North and east of Erlay, the rail line was open, as they had learned, for it was in the possession of the German forces and had been for some days. This is bad news, Ned, observed Bob gravely, after a thoughtful spell. It changes the situation considerably. What do you mean? inquired Ned vaguely. Why, our duty is to the professor, first and foremost. That's an admitted fact. We've got to get him, then. Why, what we can say would have some effect, wouldn't it? Say, now come to think of it, that German officer acted as if he was going to keep track of us and see that we didn't leave Erlay, remarked Ned. I think that, too. Maybe first thing we know we'll be taken in tow as prisoners and spies, too. I don't believe we'll do any registering so they can lay their hands on us when they want to. And I wouldn't go back to that hotel, either. I'm thinking along that line myself right now, advised Bob in a ruminative sort of way. Well, we will talk over matters with Tom and Miles. It was just now that the best that was in Bob Reddy came to the surface. Neither he nor his comrades had ever anticipated any such involved situation as the present one. Bob was not daunted, however. They had made him their leader, and he was willing to accept the responsibility. Not only was Bob older, but back home he had won his way up from third class to deputy scoutmaster in advance of all the others. There was something heroic, but stimulating as well, in the present situation, and Bob determined to be worthy of it. He was silent and reflective when they reached the depot. He allowed Ned and Hans to chatter away at the recital of their recent adventures and discoveries. Tom and Miles were greatly stirred up over the way things were turning out. They had a dozen impulsive suggestions to make, some of them so ridiculous that Ned laughed at them outright. Bob will soon take the wind out of your sails on any such proposition as working the dark and deadly disguise racket on those Germans and piercing their ranks and all that, he declared. I see you've been working that wise noodle of yours, Bob, he added, addressing their leader. What's the program? Why, I think it is fairly up to us to hold a council of war, reported Bob sensibly. As we have agreed unanimously, it must be the professor, first, foremost, and all of the time. Easy said that, growled Tom, 
who was principally sore at the German army. Oh, we can work it if we move quick, declared Ned confidently. Don't you think that, Bob? I know it, asserted Bob staunchly. There, you hear? proclaimed Ned, brightened up. We want to get away from here, and we want to keep away from the hotel, proceeded Bob. In fact, I don't think we can get under safe cover any too quickly. You mean to get into hiding? inquired Hans. That's it, just. Can you pilot us to some place where we can settle on a plan and get our second wind? I guess, bobbed Hans. Then lead the way. Divide up the truck here, fellows, and let's get busy. The old Boy Scout briskness pervaded the group, was something definite in view to aim for. They soon filed out of the depot. Nightfall had come on. There was no moon, and not all of the street lamps were lit. The persons with that duty in charge having joined the train refugees. The soldiers seemed mainly distributed about the upper town. The boys selected their route with caution. They dodged in between buildings when anyone came into view. They cut through solitary lanes, across lots, and made themselves as inconspicuous as possible. I have the place, if I can find it, Hans kept telling them. And finally, with a triumphant grin, he led them along a street poorly built up and alongside of what suggested a wrecked and deserted warehouse. A part of its walls were crumbling and in ruins. Its windows were missing, its doors were shattered or lying hingeless on the ground. What's this now? asked Bob, staring at the gruesome layout. The old warehouse where the Belgians kept their stores. Arsenal, you call it. What? Some powder stores blew up about a month ago. There's the cellar. I visited it last week and took a picture. That cellar is a safe hiding place. We could use a light and not be seen from the street. We could even cook. As to sleeping, there is a great heap of half-burned baled hay. The very thing, chirped Ned, who liked variety and coziness. Miles always carried with him an electric light tube. He shot its rays across some broken stone steps. Then, when they had reached the bottom of the flight, he felt inside his pack, brought out a candle, and cutting it in two gave half to Ned, and lighting the wicks, they proceeded on a tour of exploration. To Boy Scouts, who had roughed it times out of number, the layout was far from disheartening. When the professor first decided to leave Erlay, he had arranged to continue the tour in slow stages, with many stops. Had they taken the last train at the end of fifty miles, he planned to spend several hours tramping it to a picturesque ruin, and Miles had been deputized to provide a lunch. He had now in his kit some ham, cheese, and bread. Coffee, too, was to be on the bill of fare. He proceeded at once to unload his mess kit. Bob found an open chimney pit. There were all kinds of old lumber and junk littering the cellar. It brought back some flavor of home camping out to rig up a dingle stick or a camper's crane, and the material was ready at hand to construct a hiker's pothook. Tom set at work to browse a bed, shingling the hay in layers. You see, Bob observed, we'll make ourselves as comfortable as possible for the night. Before daylight, one of us, I think it had best be you, Hans, had better scout around outside and learn conditions. 
Then we can decide the best way to get out of the town at dark tomorrow night. That is very good. I shall be glad, replied Hans. Hans went pottering around the cellar on a grand tour of observation. There was a half-walled-off section that had in former times held fuel, it seemed. Hans invaded this, peering past its entrance and feeling his way forward. He had got out of view when suddenly he uttered a quick cry. Then he seemed to stumble. Who? Who? The boys heard him shout out as if in a challenge. The next moment, a strange figure bounded into sight. It was that of a boy the quartet had never seen before. He made for the back cellar exit at the top of his speed. Stop him, cried Bob as the boy shot past him. Ned sprang in front of the stranger. He threw his arms around him to detain him. Let me go, panted the fugitive, struggling hard to get free. No, declared Bob, coming forward to inspect the lad. Not until we know who you are and what you were doing in there. I was doing no harm, came the retort rather sullenly. Perhaps not, said Bob, but you have overheard too much for us to let you go without an explanation.